Hello, and thanks for listening to the Troncast with me, Tron Jordheim. Hope you are doing well and enjoying feeding your mind with some different ideas from time to time. So sometimes you need to look at something in a completely different way to understand it in a better way. So I'm suggesting to you that you should treat your workers like dogs. Yeah, you may want to hear more about that to kind of figure out exactly what I'm talking about. But I think if you took a dog training approach to how you handle your workers and your employees and your partners, I think you may have some better success at achieving your goals and helping everyone to be happy while they achieve your goals. So stay tuned. I'm going to talk a little bit about how and why you should treat your workers like dogs. Stay tuned. So why do I have this thought? Well, I trained dogs for a number of years from when I was in my middle teens until I was probably in my mid-thirties I spent a lot of my time training dogs for part of that time it was my profession and avocation for part of that time it was my hobby and I worked with a lot of dogs particularly working dogs German Shepherds, Rottweilers, Doberman, Pinschers, Boxers, some giant Schnauzers but also a lot of uh, just random pet dogs, any breed you can imagine I helped people with. What I used to do was, my specialty was working with uh, German or European bred working dogs who did Schutzhundsport or police work, but I also did a lot of work for pet owners helping them with basic things, so basic training, housebreaking, puppy training, problem solving, behavior issues, all that sort of thing. So I worked with a lot of dogs. Uh, And along the way I've worked with a lot of people, so people who own dogs and dog handlers and people at uh, the dog clubs I helped support and, and joined and Uh, helped with Uh, and then I had a lot of employees uh, as a manager of businesses Uh, I've managed small groups of employees and fairly large group of employees at one point I had uh, over a hundred people in my team so that's quite a few people now I realize that's not like uh, you know Jack Welch who had I don't know what did he have hundred thousand employees whatever he had at one point um, but it's a little different when you're the chief big dog than when you're uh, sort of a middle manager big dog with lots of people working for you um, anyway so I've always uh, had very good experience treating the people who worked for me like dogs when I did that, I found that things went really well. Now let me clarify what I mean by treating people like dogs. Uh, 
if you think for a minute like someone who actually likes dogs and admires dogs and enjoys being around dogs and uh, appreciates dogs for what they can do, that's what I mean by treating people like dogs. I don't mean treating people like dogs um, in the way that, uh, you know, people who don't like dogs treat dogs. So I don't mean kick them. I don't mean leave them out in the cold. I don't mean feed them stale bread. I don't mean any of that stuff. I mean treat them like dogs that you love and respect and count on for what they do for you. So I think that's fair. Now some of you might get a little upset about my idea of treating people like dogs and that's okay. But if that is upsetting to you, then you should kind of think about your relationship with dogs or the people you know uh, who uh, you might be thinking of when it upsets you to think about treating people like dogs and think about their relationship with dogs. So anyway, that's my theory. If you just treat your workers like dogs, they'll fetch you business, right? Because that's the whole point of having people work for you is they need to either get you business or help you do whatever business you're doing profitably so your customers are happy and your investors are happy and everybody makes a few dollars and goes home halfway satisfied at the end of the day, All right? So that's the whole point of treating your workers like dogs. So the first thing you have to think about if you're going to treat someone like dogs uh, or uh, treat people like dogs is that um, there's lots of kind of dogs out there. And as you're thinking about who's going to be working for you or who's going to be fetching you business, you need to think about all the different kinds of functions that you hire for or use contractors for. Uh, and think about how those things relate. So the first thing about treating people like dogs is you can't expect a dog to do something a dog either isn't suitable for or a dog that can't absorb the training for. So that's the first thing. If you expect a dog to do something it's not well suited for, things are going to go badly. If you expect a dog to do something it's not well trained to do, that will also go badly. So you have to select your workers carefully for the work you expect them to do and you have to then train them for those tasks and functions and contingencies so that they know what to do. Uh, that's the first step. So how do you determine what a dog is suitable for or what a worker is suitable for? Well, in the dog world, you have lots of classifications of breeds, right? You have sled dogs, and what they like to do is to pull stuff. Uh, you've got uh, tracking dogs, and what they like to do is to put their nose down and follow a track. You've got trailing dogs. What they like to do is catch scent in the wind 
and go find what they're looking for by smelling it in the wind. Uh, you have protection dogs. What they like to do is to be protective uh, when someone is being aggressive to their pack or their family or when something strange is happening around their pack or their family. Uh, you have hunting dogs, a whole variety of hunting dogs. You have bird dogs who, what they do is they point at birds. You have flushing dogs, which what they do is they go into the brush and make birds fly up into the air. You have retrieving dogs, and what they do is they go out and grab whatever you shot and bring it back to you. Uh, you have coon dogs. What they do is they tree raccoons and keep barking at them until you get there. Uh, you have uh, deer hounds, and what they used to do was to chase deer and corner the deer so you could get in and make the kill. I mean, the dogs have so many functions. You have lap dogs. Their job is to sit in your lap and keep you warm. You have uh, herding dogs. And what they do is they go round up sheep or goats. And then you have herd protection dogs. And what they do is they wander around with the herd and bark at anything and go after anything that looks like it's dangerous to the herd. So you have all these different kinds of functions that dogs fulfill and all these different breeds that do these things. So you've got to think about what sort of dog will it take to do this particular job or do this particular function or handle this particular set of responsibilities? What would that person look like? So what you have to do in the dog world is you have to discover what that dog's drives are. What drives that dog? Uh, if you're buying a, a sled dog, you want to know that that dog is driven to pull. And that's what that dog wants to do. If you're looking for a protection dog, you have to find a dog who will react when something weird or aggressive happens and who will go towards the danger when things get uh, out of hand. If you're looking for a pointer, you need a dog that's going to stand and point when it sees a bird. You need the right instincts, the right drive. If you want a worker to do some kind of function or perform some kind of duty that they're not driven to do, you're setting that person up for failure. So uh, if you have someone uh, who is does not have the right drive for the kind of work you're looking for them to do, it's not going to go well. So you have to identify what are the drivers involved in this particular function and then how do you find those people who are driven in a similar way and then how do you test them for that. So I'll give you one example. For some time, I hired people to work in a call center where they were mostly taking inbound sales calls, but they also took customer service calls. So working in a call center uh, can really grate on your nerves. 
And so if you break it down to the most basic things that someone has to be able to do in a call center is they have to be patient when things get wacky. Uh, their natural reaction has to be to be kind and to be friendly and to be curious. They have to be able to handle stress. They have to be able to keep their cool under pressure. They have to not go to anger when they're frustrated, right? So you need someone who's driven to be helpful. That's what they want to do. They want to be helpful. You need someone whose natural instinct is to be patient and kind when things get a little wacky. You can teach someone sales talk. You can teach them how to do an alternate choice close. You can teach them on the phone to say, well, we have a special on the red one today and an equally good special on the green one. Which would you prefer? You can teach that. What you can't teach someone is to be calm when someone's yelling at them. Uh, and um, yes, you can teach them exercises to help them to do that. But if their natural drive is not to be helpful, then they will not last long in a call center environment. And as you may know, the cost of replacing workers is ridiculous. By the time you find somebody, by the time you train them, by the time you put the time into them, by the time you do all the things it takes to figure out whether the person's going to work out or not, you have sunk so much time and money and effort and have so much lost opportunity now of time you can't get back, of project time you can't get back. If you make a bad hire, that sucks. That is like the worst thing you can do in uh, an environment is to make a bad hire. And I realize that the way a lot of companies are trying to fix the issue of hiring the right people and managing them correctly and motivating them correctly and all of that, I understand that a lot of companies' method for handling that is to just automate everything and to go to AI and use, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and robots and bots and everything else. And that's fine to a certain extent and certain things you can automate and it makes sense to save time and effort and money by automating certain things. But how do you run a business without people? How do you take care of customers without people? How do you sell anything to people if no people have jobs or careers or money coming in from their independent contracting gigs because no one hires anyone because everything is automated. How does that work? So that's a much bigger question. But in any case, how does that all work? So back to my premise, if you hire wrong, it's expensive and time-consuming and frustrating as heck. So, how do you test call center reps to see what their natural drive is? Well, one thing you can do is to talk to that person on the phone in the environment in which they're going to exist. So, first thing you might do is do a telephone interview with them and ask them lots of questions and ask them to repeat things 
and role play with them the types of things that they're selling or taking calls with now and see how they handle things. Uh, have a second telephone interview with them and talk about more things to see how patient they are with you the second time you talk to them. Uh, secret shop them. Find out where they work. Try and get someone to secret shop them and give them a little bit of a hard time to be fair with them, but maybe be an upset customer or a, a customer that's unwilling to, to purchase immediately or something like that and see how they react. If they uh, work in some kind of retail environment, go to the shop they work at and secret shop them. Uh, you don't have to do anything elaborate, but you can watch them with customers and see how they behave. Are they patient? Are they kind? Are they persistent when they sell? Uh, can they uh, you know, handle an upset customer without getting upset about it? What, what are they like? What's their temperament? So those things you can determine. And then if you're going to call them in for an interview, uh, we used to do a little thing that we called the break room test. And uh, what we would do when someone would come for an interview, uh, we would have someone go out and greet, one of the workers go out and greet them and say, I'm sorry, the person who's supposed to be interviewing you is running a little bit late. You can come on in and sit in our break room. They shouldn't be too long. And then we would just let them sit there in the break room and just let them sit there and see what they do. Some people would just get really angry about being made to sit and made to wait. Uh, some people would be, be curious. And one of the things we would do is to leave out some trade journals about the business we were in. And some people would pick up the trade journals and leaf through them and be curious and see what they could do. Uh, and then after they sat there for a little while, we would have just a random worker walk through the break room and just say hello to them just to see what they would do. And some people would not respond to the greeting. Some people would be huffy with them. Some people would say, well, where's the person who's supposed to interview me? I've been waiting here for 10 minutes. Right? You get a, a wide variety of responses. And some people's response would be to say, oh, hi, how you doing? And s spark up a conversation. So you can imagine that the, the people who were friendly to the greeter and tried to spark up a conversation and the people who picked up the trade journals and kind of leafed through those and the people who were patient uh, those were the ones that we favored and what we discovered to no one's shock was when we hired the people who showed good patience through our break room test and were friendly to the to the people who greeted them in the break room, those employees worked out great because their response to being in a stressful situation was to be calm and be kind. Uh, and if you've ever been on a job interview, you know that that is a horrible, stressful experience for people. It's, it's stupid going to job interviews because you don't know what you're walking into. You don't know what to expect. You're worried whether the people are gonna like you or whether you're gonna like them. I mean, it is so stressful. And for someone to keep their cool and to, and to show their default behavior as being calm and kind, those people make great call center reps. 
So what is it in the particular function you're looking to, to fill or the particular job you're looking for someone to do, what is it that uh, drives that function or drives the most successful people to do that, right? If you're hiring someone to be a manager of people, you've got to find somebody whose drive is to see other people succeed, whose drive is to help other people along in their career, whose drive is to make their bosses happy, right? So I've seen many people in, in lower level management jobs who got that position because they were good at the particular function they would manage or they were just pushy people and bossy people. Oh, and they, and I know it seems a little bit weird, but bossy people make the worst bosses. Pushy people make the worst managers. Yes, you have to be persistent. Yes, you have to be a boss. But being a boss is different than being bossy. So you've got to be able to, to separate those when you're hiring for management positions. Anyway, I hope you get my drift. You've got to find what's the, what is the basic drive that someone needs to be successful in your position. If you're hiring for an ER doctor, you need someone who is driven by the excitement and the craziness of some of the things they're gonna experience. Uh, if you hire an ER doc who does not do well under pressure and who doesn't like drama and who doesn't like being splattered with blood, you, that is not going to go well. So you have to really think about not just, uh, I need someone who's good at doing sutures and who can, you know, tell the difference between a panic attack and a heart attack. You need someone who's got the basic drivers for that position. So that's the first thing you have to do when you're thinking about how you're going to treat your workers like dogs so that they're successful in your ventures. What do you do for sales training and team building exercises? What do you do for customer service training and team building exercises? I know you're trying all kinds of things and there's some good stuff out there. But I swear, if anyone ever asks me to do another trust fall, my brain's gonna explode. So let's come up with something different. I've been trying to find something different for a while. And I thought, well, why not let's come up with a sales training game or a customer service training game, something fun that everyone can get into and that they can laugh about and challenge each other and poke each other a little bit and feel some of the emotional ups and downs that you get when you're in customer service and sales. So I went to a game jam uh, headed up by the local regional economic development group here in Columbia and Boone County, Missouri. And I met uh, a group of game developers and we had so much fun that we ended up creating a game called Starship Junkyard, 
which is a great and hilarious way to do team building for your businesses, for your sales teams, for your customer service teams. And it's turned out to be just a great family and friends game too. Something you can sit down and play for half an hour or an hour or a great pub game. It's hilarious. It's called Starship Junkyard. And you can find it on Facebook at uh, the Starship Junkyard the card game. You can buy it on thegamecrafter.com. Go to thegamecrafter.com and look up Starship Junkyard and buy a copy and play it. It's hilarious. So try that for your next team building exercise. Try that for your next sales training meeting. Sit down and play Starship Junkyard and you will be happy you did. Go check it out on Facebook, Twitter, Go buy the game at thegamecrafter.com. The Starship Junkyard, the card game. Thank you. What do you do for sales training when sales training is so frustrating and seems so counterproductive sometimes, right? Because the people getting trained are sometimes resistant or sometimes they've been through so many training courses where they just tune out everything you say and you sound like the teacher in Charlie Brown. Sometimes the people doing the training are so frustrated because they come up with some really good material and go out in the field and prove some really good phraseology and techniques and approaches and then when they try to train it sometimes it doesn't work in reality the way it it worked for them or it doesn't work for the particular people doing it or the folks who get the training just don't feel like putting in the time to perfect it it's really frustrating for the trainers it's also really frustrating for the higher-ups, for the big bosses, because they invest in training and they invest in training materials. And sometimes the numbers don't move, and so they wonder, well, why are we doing this? What's the point? So I've come up with a couple different approaches for sales training that maybe are helpful. One idea is to make it a self-driven process where the salesperson is on their own sales journey, their quest for sales proficiency, their quest to be their own sales hero. So if you want to check that out, go to solvingsales.com. That's all about my self-driven sales journeys program. And you can subscribe to that for, I think right now it's $5 a month. I'm making it super easy so people can get in there and start creating their own journey to sales mastery. SolvingSales.com. SolvingSales.com. Thank you.